On today's Locked On Giants podcast, New York Giants broadcast team member Paul Dettino joins us as we talk about what we learned about the Giants and what we still need to learn. That's coming up next here on the Locked On Giants podcast. You are Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. My name is Patricia Chena. Happy to have you with us. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day or watching on YouTube, your first watch of the day. And on today's program, I'm pleased to welcome in Paul Dettino, who is with WFAN. He's the Giants reporter over at WFAN. He is also a member of the New York Giants broadcast team. And we're going to talk about what else? You're Giants, right, Paul? There's never, you know, just there's always something to talk about with the New York Giants, right? We can never get enough of that. Yeah, how true, Patty. Good morning. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. And, you know, I always tell people the six weeks between the end of minicamp and the beginning of training camp is like a black hole on my calendar. I can't stand it. I need my Giants fix. Well, you're going to get your giant fix today. We're going to talk giants. We're going to talk about what we learned about this team. We're going to talk about some sleepers. We're going to talk about questions and everything in between. So without further ado, Paul, if you are ready, let's do this, huh? Let's do this. All right, let's go. Pick it All off. Right. So, Paul, Joe Shane coming into this past offseason, a better cap situation, a better understanding of what they had. You know, last year was kind of a feeling out process for him, for head coach Brian Dable. What have we learned about this team, the way it's been constructed and what they want to do with this team moving forward on offense and defense? Well, I think the first thing we learned about Joe Shane in particular is that he is very aggressive. He has a plan and he is going to go after exactly what it is that he needs. He's not going to hesitate. Uh, he's not going to play pity patty with anybody uh, when when he knows, OK, this is what we have to do. A, B and C to get to grandma's house. He's going to make that happen. We've seen that because, for example, in his first two years at the helm with the Giants, he signed well over two dozen free agents, even though he didn't have a ton of money to do it. Uh, and he and he's also obviously drafted exceptionally well uh, to boot. So. He knows what he wants. He knows what Dable and the coaching staff wants. They are clearly on the same page. They fit like a puzzle. And and they have gone out of their way to make sure that they get the guys that this coaching staff wants to succeed. I think that's the first thing you have to talk about because that was the whole point in hiring Dable and Shane because they built, they helped build the Buffalo Bills together because they were on the same page. And I think that that permutates here to the Giants, and it's really been very successful to this point. I think the second thing we've learned, and it's not to be ignored, is that the Giants coaching staff that they put together, we've talked in the past about some of the other coaching staffs. Remember, for example, Joe Judge had so many guys from the Belichick tree and the Saban tree and the Parcells tree. We all thought that was going to be a good thing. But what happened was you had too many people who all believed in the same things. So you never had counterbalances and checks within the coaching staff. Everybody was like, that's the way we're going to do it. Okay, great. 
And you know, as well as I do, Patty, a lot of times that stunts improvement. You've got to have a checks and balances. You have to have some people who say, I'm not sure about that. Or no, I don't think that's a good idea. And look at this staff, the key guys on this staff. Yes, you had Shane and Dable both come from Buffalo, but then the coordinators came from totally different places. There was no background connections to Mike Kafka. There were no background connections to Wink Martindale. Dable had nothing on on Thomas McGahee other than when he first met him. And I think that is also a critical point to remember here is that there is a checks and balances within this coaching staff. They're not all guys who are necessarily going to accept whatever is suggested at the first win. And what about, you know, the players, you know, like I said, last year was kind of a feeling out process. You know, they put in systems, the systems I think were tailored to the strength of the players, but based on the philosophies that the coaches brought in, you know, now obviously they want to be more explosive on offense. They want to be a little bit more aggressive on defense. I mean, how have you kind of seen a a shift? And I know it's early, we have to get through training camp, but based on the personnel they brought in, what kind of a shift do you think we'll see in these systems? Well, offensively, it's obvious that the Giants went after more speed at the skill positions. They know that the kinds of things they want to run And not every offense necessarily prioritizes speed. Most of them do today in this league. That's the way the league has changed. There's not a lot of bully ball going on. You know, and and I know, Patty, you and I have been around a while. We remember when there was bully ball in the NFL, and you just wanted to smash mouth it. Well, in today's game, there's a much more uh, stronger emphasis on speed at those skill positions. And it's quite clear that not only do the Dable-Kafka game plans reflect that, but they've also gone after acquisitions who will do that. You can't, you can't play the speed game if you've got bully ball players and vice versa. Now, it's okay if they can do both. In fact, to be frank with you, I prefer that they have guys who can play bully ball and also play the speed game. So I think that's definitely something we've seen on offense, that the Giants – while they want the strong trenches, and and obviously Shane believes in the trenches, football one-on-one, but they believe in more speed at the skill positions than maybe Giants teams in the past have. And then on the defensive side of the ball, well, you know, I, I told Wink Martindale once ago, I've nicknamed it the kaleidoscope defense because you never know what you're going to see. You never know what you're going to get, and it could change play to play to play to play. He calls it a positionless defense. I call it a kaleidoscope defense because the versatility factor is more important and stressed with this defense more so than any other Giants defense that I've ever seen. Reminds me of that toy. I don't know if you had it as a kid. I know I did, where you had a tube and you would turn it and you would have like a kaleidoscope. I remember that. That's what it was. How do you think I wound up with the scrambled head that I have these days? (laughs) Okay, so I learned something new about you. <laughs> All right, Paul. At the end of the off, at the end of the season last year, Joe Shane spoke about wanting to close the talent gap with Dallas and Philly. How yeah. successful do you think he's been? And again, I know it's early. We've got to see how it plays out. But based on the additions he's added, 
what we saw in the, you know, the spring, what we know about the coaching staff and what they want to do, what they've revealed to us. How much do you think they have closed the gap with Dallas and Philly? Based on the 90-man spring rosters, I still believe that the Eagles have the best 90, certainly in the conference and, and obviously one of the top, if not the top, in the National Football League. That's just the way it is right now. Their 90 is still extremely strong. The Giants have obviously gotten better. Now, how much better? Dallas, they've gotten a little bit better too. I don't think as much as the Giants have. I think the Giants have actually improved themselves more than any of the other teams in the division. Now, is it enough to shrink the gap or fully close it? That remains to be seen. I think, Patty, to be frank with you, the biggest difference between shrinking the gap and closing the gap won't even necessarily come from this rookie class. It's more so going to come from the second and third year players who have to take their games to the next level. And mm -hmm. by that, I'm talking about Evan Neal has to have a terrific sophomore season. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau has to become a much healthier and much more reliable and consistent impact player. Aziz Ojolari, ditto for him, as I just said with Thibodeau. Xavier McKinney. Missed half the year with that hand injury last season. He needs to play at the Pro Bowl level that the Giants expect him to play at. Those guys are not rookies. Those guys were not offseason acquisitions. But I would say if those guys play at a very high level, that will be the biggest reason for the Giants to jump and, and narrow and maybe even close that gap on Philadelphia. Not necessarily the rookie class. Interesting perspective there. A lot of people, I think, look at the rookies, you know, they look at the newcomers and they kind of forget about, you know, year two, year three and onward. And speaking of, you know, onward, you know, a big, you know, focus is going to be on Daniel Jones. Now, last year, Daniel Jones took to the system, Mike Kafka, Brian Dable and the coaches designed like, you know, a duck to water. Where can Daniel Jones take the next logical step in his development in this system? Well, you know, I think, Patty, what we saw a couple of years ago, and the, the stat people will prove this to be correct, he was one of the best deep ball throwers in the National Football League. He was efficient. He was doing it at, at, a, at a very high level. And we didn't see much of that last year. He cut down on his deep ball big play significantly. Now, why was that? For a lot of reasons. We know the skill position at receiver was decimated. Uh, you know, Darius Slate was in the doghouse at the beginning of the season and wasn't much of a factor. Isaiah Hodgins didn't come to the team until midway through the year. I mean, think about it, all right? No disrespect against Richie James. You know, not, not at all. But he was their leading receiver in terms of receptions last season. That's that's not a really good thing, okay? So I think, number one, the, the upgrade in the receiver's room is a big factor. Obviously, the addition of Darren Waller, and we can include him. I know he's not a rookie, but he's kind of a newcomer. He kind of fits a little bit into your previous question because Waller's going to be a huge advantage to this year's team. But he's a veteran. He's not a rookie. 
Uh, the addition of Waller to the passing game, I think he will be the second most important uh, function of the playbook behind Saquon Barkley. Barkley's going to be the most important functional player in the offensive playbook. Waller will be the number two guy. All right. And that's not to say they're the most important because obviously Neil and Thomas and Schmitz and the rest of those guys have to hold up front. But in terms of the plays and what who's designed to get what plays, Barkley's still going to be the guy. Waller's going to be the number two guy. And and don't dis Waller as a downfield threat, by the way, because he's got that capability. So how does Daniel get better? He gets better because his skill positions are going to have more of an opportunity and give him more of a chance to reinstitute the long ball to his game. I also believe that the offensive line will be better, which gives him more time to be comfortable and to unleash the long ball. And then on top of that, I do believe that Saquon Barkley is going to be in, will give the Giants a full season another 1,300 yards rushing, and put up the kind of Pro Bowl numbers that we expect. Now, that's something that he kind of did last year, although he got nicked up a little. And in the second half of the season, they kind of suffered a little bit in the run game. Uh, I, I expect Barkley to be at full strength. You put all those things together, and it should enhance Jones's capability of reinstituting the long ball in his game. Definitely something that was missing. And you're right. It was the strength of his. And it just, you know, it's almost like they went back to level one with him, you know, after all the, you know, changing of the systems, the different coaching, you know, I mean, he he went through a lot. And I don't think a lot of people give him credit for holding up through all the adversity that he went through, you know, with the different coaching staffs, the different systems, the injuries around him, the offensive line. I mean, you name it. He had basically everything working against him. He did, Patty. And, and you know, I agree with you. The different playbooks, the different coordinators, the different head coaches, there was a lot going on. But the biggest thing for me is that the skill positions around him, even more so than the offensive line, which was sporadic in its pass protection all season long, the skill positions around him. You know, we saw a more effective passing game once Hodgins got into the flow. Once Darius Slayton climbed out of the doghouse, but they were still missing Sterling Shepard. They were still missing Wandell Robinson. You know, Bellinger was in and out of the lineup because of the eye injury. And so, and even when he was in the lineup, he is not the kind of threat that Darren Waller is. So there were tools missing out of the toolbox that Daniel Jones could not control. So, you know, hurdles aside from all the things that you just mentioned, he still didn't have a full toolbox. I think he's got one now. Assuming everybody stays healthy, of course. That's the big if. No doubt. No doubt. Although that wide receiver room has so many make it 53 players in it that even if Robinson and Shepard start week one on PUP, which I believe you have to be very, very much aware of, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to put my chips down and say it's 100%, but you have to be. You have to be considering that both of those guys are coming off serious injuries. And no matter how many straight line jogs and sprints they're doing right now, you can't be sure they'll be ready for week one. So be on the safe side. Kind of think that they'll probably be PUP week one, but they've got enough of receivers in that room 
that it, it probably should not damage them that much in the early going. Yeah, that that's a good point too. I mean, I think you're right. I I could see them starting on PUP and and certainly, you know, I I be with, I would be surprised if they're ready for training camp and the longer they're sitting on PUP and training camp, you know, there's still that ramp up time and everything involved. So, that's a, certainly a question or something to keep an eye on, you know, as we get a little closer. Look at it this way, Patty. If you're the Giants, because of what you've done to the receiver room, you can afford to be conservative. Error mm-hmm. on the side of caution. Sure. Make sure that Robinson and Shepard are ready for the long haul, even if it means they got to miss the first couple of games. You've got enough of receivers in that room now where you'll be able to function the first couple of games without them if you have to. That's 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 the real benefit to stocking up that room. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of which, in our next segment coming up, we're going to talk about some sleepers, some guys that maybe a lot of people aren't talking about, but maybe have caught the Detino eye. So we'll talk about that with Paul Detino, our special guest from WFAN and the Giants broadcast crew right after this. Hey, Giant fans, get in on all the sports action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, FanDuel is giving new customers a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if their first bet does not win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash on today and sign up to claim your no-sweat first bet. FanDuel offers great promotions, a safe and secure app to set your bets, and instant payments. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. All right, Giant fans, welcome back to the Locked on Giants podcast. You got Patricia Trainer here, your host, and I'm keep rolling out the content with you because you guys asked for it. So here I am. I'm delivering it. And my special guest today is Paul Dettino, Giants WFAN on Twitter. He is the Giants reporter for WFAN. He's also a member of the team's broadcast crew. He is in the building a lot more than I am because he's you know part of the broadcast team, but Guy who's been doing it for, gosh, 30 years, 40 years. What are you up to now, Paul? 41, Patty, 41. 41, almost as long <laughs> as I've been alive. What does that tell you, man? <laughs> yeah. Almost. Make sure you almost. give me some Jared Tall on the way out, will you please? <laughs> all good, all good. Polly's one of the good guys on the beat, folks. All right, so we're now going to – turn uh, the discussion to the Detino eye, which is really good at picking out sleepers. Now I know, you know, let me, let me preface this. I know that padless practices don't tell us a whole lot. I know that in the spring coaches are experimenting with different looks that we may not even see in the summer and, and beyond, but there are things like fundamentals, their skill sets, there, there are little things that, you know, the, the trained eye can pick up. Paul, who are some of the guys that maybe we're not talking about a whole lot uh, this spring, but maybe we need to keep an eye on the Detino sleepers, if you will? Well, you know, Patty, you're right. The, the, the flag football spring sessions that they're using nowadays, quite different than when you and I first started doing this, uh, make it very, very difficult because – Unless you're actually out there on the field listening to what the coaches are instructing with the players, or unless you're in the classroom, it's virtually impossible to know 
how how many of these young fellas are really going awry of what it is that they're supposed to do. So it's increasingly difficult now to pick out guys. You know, I used to do it, but now it's almost like I throw my hands up. There, there are limited things that you could tell. I could tell very quickly, and he's not a sleeper, but that Jalen Hyatt is the real thing. I will tell you what surprised me about him. When I watched his tape at Tennessee, I thought he would be a slot receiver in the National Football League. I don't think he is now. I got to see him in person. He looks a little bit bigger. He's got more length than it appears on his college tape. He's already admitted that he's put on 10 pounds since when he played for the Volunteers. He wants to even add a few more pounds by the time week one comes around. So instead of being in the mid to low 170s, he expects to be 180 by opening day when the Giants play the Cowboys. That makes me believe that he will be able to physically hold up against boundary corners who will be bigger and stronger and will want to press him and get physical with him and jam him and do all the things they can to knock him off his routes so that he can utilize his speed. So one of my big takeaways from the minicamp with the rookies was Jalen Hyatt is not exclusively a slot receiver. He could probably play any of the three positions at the receiver spot that the Giants want to use him for. That was one very big takeaway, and I think it's important because his versatility adds to his immediate value and his immediate return to the team, uh, his returns. I think the other thing that I thought that I kind of I kind of saw pretty quickly is that um, the running back that they took, who, by the way, I was advocating for, and you know this, Patty, I think that Eric Gray showed me some more quicks even than what he showed on film. I compared him when I looked at him on film in Oklahoma to somebody that reminds me of Ahmad Bradshaw, but with, without the long speed. I don't see Eric Gray breaking off a 50- or 60-yard run like Bradshaw was capable of doing because I don't think he's got long speed. But I saw quicks in Eric Gray coming out of school, and I'm seeing him even more so with some jukeability, which I that's one of my my terms. I love I love that term. With the jukeability that that really could cause some problems. He's got soft hands, he runs nice routes. Eric Gray could actually be a factor in the playbook coming right out as a rookie, even with Saquon Barkley dominating most of the snaps at running back. And I don't know if I would have thought that right away. When he came out of Oklahoma, I thought he'd be a good futures pick, a guy who they should draft maybe in the fourth or fifth round, who they should take and stash as a red shirt and get him coached up. I'm thinking now maybe maybe Eric Gray can actually give the Giants some production right away. And I got that feeling just from watching him during the spring. I don't know if you felt the same way. I like the pick. I, I, I got to be honest. I thought maybe he would go a little higher, you know, but this goes back to, you know, what we were talking about with Joe Shane and how he got tremendous value on these guys. But I definitely like that Eric Gray pick. Yeah. And I think he could be a big time contributor, maybe more so than, you know, what maybe people are projecting him to be, especially, you know, I believe they may look to, I don't want to say scale down Saquon's role, but you want to keep him fresh. 
And he's taken quite the pounding, you know, even with the time missed with injuries. So, mm-hmm. you know, he got dinged last year, uh, but but didn't miss any playing time other than the week 18 game, which was the coach's decision. So if you can get some guys in there who can maybe do some of, the, you know, may, whether it be the third down blocking or the goal line stuff or stuff, just stuff to take off Saquon's plate. Why not? And I think they have that in Eric Gray. Yeah, yeah. Again, his juke ability was even better than I thought on tape. He had it on tape, but it's even better. So mm-hmm. I do think they can get immediate results. I think he can be a third down back. You're talking about where they might be able to spell Barkley a little bit. That might be one of the places that you could spell him. It might be the best place to spell him because mm-hmm. I think Greg can get something there. The other the other observation that I thought was 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 pretty obvious Deontay Banks because they're not playing in contact drills these days in the springtime he had to use his shadow skills and he had to make sure that he wasn't getting physical during the seven on sevens during the mini camp and the OTAs he didn't seem to have much trouble doing it he adapted to that pretty quickly and and that's one of the things that you know he's gonna have to worry about in the transition to the NFL how physical is he going to be and how grabby is he going to be well, you can't be grabby and physical in spring drills. You know that. It's against right. policy. In fact, Dable will let you know with an earful if you, if you do something like that because it's against it's against the CBA. Right. So they're very, very careful not to let their guys do that. So Banks had to be extra, extra aware of using his shadowing skills as opposed to using his physical skills. I thought he held up well. There were times he got beat, but there were times he really made terrific plays with those shadowing skills. And, you know, I love the kid at Maryland. You know he was the guy I wanted them to take, and he has not disappointed me through the spring drills. The last guy I would talk about, and I'm sure you've mentioned him several times, not only in your podcast but in your blogs, uh, you know, uh, Ford Wheaton, the the wide receiver out of West Virginia. Uh, It's interesting to watch him because on tape, yeah, you see the size, you see the length, you see the speed, but you don't always see the consistency. Now, you can't tell about consistencies in spring drills, but the size, the length, and the speed absolutely translated into what we saw on the field during the last month. He's got all those things. Uh, He seemed to have good hands. Now, it's much easier for a receiver to catch the ball when he knows he's not about to get hit. Okay? So, Patty, put an asterisk on that. Okay? Let's wait. Let's wait until he knows he can be hit before we start talking about his concentration and focus and catching the football. But I do believe that Ford Wheaton has a legitimate chance to, uh, to compete for one of those wide receiver spots. Yeah, I I would agree, and especially if you know Wandale Robinson aren't ready, you know is isn't ready. If Shep isn't ready, right. you're going to have you know if you're projecting six receivers, maybe Ford Wheaton can can you know if he has a good summer, he can grab that sixth spot. I would think if he has a good yeah, summer. Yeah, we know that. Well, we know they gave him a guaranteed check, mm-hmm. so they obviously felt highly of him. And at the very least, you know he's going to be ticketed for the practice squad. The Giants are going to have themselves a dilemma, though, Patty, because what if he has a really good camp 
Yep. But they don't think they don't think he's one of the five or six. You know, someone's going to try to scap him up exactly. if they sneak him through. He's not going to. He's not going to get. He's not going to get behind the doors and onto the practice squad yep. if he has a really good camp. So they've mm-hmm. got themselves a dilemma. He either has to show out really well to where he belongs amongst maybe those six receivers on the fifty-three, or they risk losing him. And that's mm-hmm. that could be that could be a real gut wrencher because this receiver's room is deep. Yeah, absolutely. And I, that's why I think early on, if I were doing a projection right now, I would say he's probably going to be my sixth. And I have Shep and I have Wandale starting on Puck because, as you said, you can't yeah. move that out. And, you know, that's a decision, you know, a lot of people don't take that in consideration when they make up their, their 53-man roster projections Sometimes you don't want to lose a guy, so sometimes you got to slip them onto the, you know, the fifty-three and hold them for a little bit before you can start finagling with the roster a little bit. And I think a lot of people don't the realize thing, the that. thing that concerns me, Patty. Why I would not give him that spot quite yet. We again, we haven't seen him get hit. Right. I mean, I, I you know, what we've seen now. Let's make that clear to everybody out there. You know, it, it's shirts and shorts. Yeah, they got helmets on. But there's no threat of getting whacked across the middle. So, you know, I get it. He's a boundary receiver for the most part. He's not going to necessarily go over the middle a whole lot. But I want to see under physical conditions, how does his concentration hold up? And and so, I'll, you know, you got to be looking very carefully at him during training camp in the preseason to see exactly how well is he performing under game conditions. Because in school, he was inconsistent. The mm-hmm. Giants do not want to see inconsistency if they're going to think about putting him on the 53. Yeah, absolutely. One more guy I want to ask you about. I'm kind of surprised you didn't mention him. Maybe he's not a sleeper to you, but I know he's a guy that I'm interested to see how he does in year two. Cordell Flott. Now, the big knock against him was, is he big enough to hold up? you know, on, on the outside. Well, outside we figure a Dory Jackson, you figure it's going to probably be Deontay Banks, which means Flott is either going to be, you know, down in the slot, which he played in college, or maybe he rotates in. I don't know, you know, what the coaches have planned for him, but what was your takeaway on Cordell Flott? Did you see an improvement in him? I mean, he looked bigger to me. So, you know. Yeah. I, I don't consider Flott a sleeper there because he is in his second year party. Right. Okay. I mean, when you ask me about sleepers, I'm trying to limit that to rookies. Okay. Fair um, enough. I, I do. You know, I'm a big Cordell Flott fan. I think he's a boundary corner. I don't mm-hmm. think he belongs in the slot in the NFL. I think he's a better boundary corner than he is in the slot because he has the length and the makeup speed that will work well when he can use the sideline to his advantage. I'm not as sold on his two-way coverage out of the slot, which is the biggest difference, right? Slot corners have to go two-way coverage. Boundary corners, for the most part, know that they've got the out-of-bounds area to to kind of help them out. And they can cheat, right? They can cheat with leverage. So I look at Flott, and I just like him outside better than I like him in the slot. Now, that doesn't mean that he won't get some chances in there because the Giants, obviously Darnay Holmes is the incumbent, but they're going to have competition at that spot. Flott's going to get reps in there. There's no question. 
whether or not he wins, God bless him if he does, because that means he's the best man and he deserves it. And it would be great to see him there. I still think he's probably better off outside. But of course, you've got a lot of competition outside too. That's the beauty of what the Giants did with their corners. Their corners and their slot, they've got a lot of guys now who they can legitimately say, go out there and fight for these jobs. You couldn't always say that in years past. They didn't have enough talent. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, speaking of questions, competition and whatnot, in our next segment, we're going to run down some of the early developing uh, training camp battles that uh, that are most intriguing to both of us. We can talk about that. We'll take a quick break. Come back right after this. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Locked On Giants podcast. You got Patricia Trainer, your host, and I'm joined by Paul Dettino, P. Dot, Paulie Dots, whatever you want to call him. He has been on the beat longer than anybody. I mean, 40 plus years. I mean, that's dedication, folks. And of course, he's a member it's of the Giants time. broadcast team. Um, he is Mr. Giant. So if you guys think I know a lot about the Giants, I know nothing compared to Paulie Dots. <laughs> so I wouldn't Pauly, say that, Patty. You've been around a long time, too. But not as long as you. I'm not as old as you are. <laughs> you got that's me beat true. by a few years. But anyway. <laughs> but anyway. All right. So, Paul. Training camp is about six weeks away. I know you're you're sitting there and you're going out of your skull because you wish it were tomorrow. Heck, you probably wish it were ne- you know in an hour or so. But let's it, it, talk- see the, the 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 hole in the wall and in the ceiling. I've been bouncing around this room like crazy. <laughs> I believe it too. I I would not put that past you. But anyway, let's talk about some of the brewing battles on this team. The questions to be answered. I think you got to start with the offensive line. Now, the offensive line, it just seems like forever they've been trying to find the right combination. They appear set at tackle, you know, depending on what happens with Evan Neal. You know, Glowinski's going to be the right guard. We think John Michael Schmitz is going to be the center. You know, there should be – I don't think it'll, there'll be a big to-do about that. Left guard, though, seems to be the comp- where the competition is going to be. What are your thoughts about that spot and the candidates that are going to buy for that spot? Yeah, you know, Patty, for me, it's really the Giants want Azudu to win the job, but he's going to have to earn it. The, the Giants are in no position to just be granting <laughs> snaps to somebody or giving giving snaps away as charity. No, you've got to earn it. This line must get better, specifically in pass pro. And so they are going to have a very stout competition. Ben Bredesen's going to be involved. It's almost a three-for-two thing between Bredesen, Schmitz, and Azudu. Now, Schmitz is not going to play guard. He is strictly a center. Let's not make any mistake about that. He was drafted to be a center. He is not a guard. But Bredesen is absolutely capable of playing guard or center in this league. He's proven it. He has shown it. Azudu is not a center, at least not right now. Maybe sometime down the road they could give him a try there, but he's not. He is a guard. So somehow, some way, you've got the versatile Ben Bredesen, who is fully capable of potentially winning a starting job if either of those two young guys does not seize the position. And that's how I see it. Now, the dark horse in here 
obviously, is Shane Lemieux. He has been riddled with injuries, you know, for the last several years and has not really had a chance to develop, to establish any consistency or to take his game to the next level. All we saw from him was about two-thirds of a season during his rookie year when all rookies make mistakes, and we like to believe that they will get better and better as they get more experience and more snaps. Shane Lemieux's never really had that opportunity to improve on his rookie tape. Now he's healthy, he's in, he's in the mix, and he's certainly going to be given a chance to try to earn his way into the fray. I don't know where that's going to land, okay? I don't, but I just don't want to necessarily close the door on him because I don't think that's fair. Uh, elsewhere, look, they got other guys too. There's the Wyatt Davises of the world who are in the mix as well. We we know that Cunningham, uh, during the media sessions uh, this past spring, took some, took some snaps at guard as well. We know Tyree Phillips is capable of taking some snaps at guard. I think the Giants want to be open-minded to give everybody as much of a chance as possible to compete and earn their way onto this roster. And that's actually a good thing, Patty, because when you have that kind of competition amongst guys who at least have something to offer, you're going to wind up the better for it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, you know, you need depth too. So besides the the, the starting no left guard, you need depth. You need your swing tackle. You know, you need your backup guard center. Um, so, yeah, runners-ups will, will probably, you know, fill some of those roles. But certainly that starting left guard jo- job, probably one of the top position battles that uh, people are going to be looking at. Now, we started to talk a little bit about the slot cornerback position in the last segment. That's a key one for me because, as you mentioned, they've got two guys there you know, and Aaron Robinson, Cordell Flott, who are maybe, you know, destined to be outside guys down the line, but probably won't be because of the guys they have in front of them. Darnay Holmes is the incumbent. You know, I asked Jerome Henderson about possibly doing a committee approach because depending on who's lining up, you know, at slot receiver for the opponent, how do you see that slot position filling out, that slot cornerback position, you know, playing out? You know what's interesting, Patty, as you have no doubt talked about many times because of your economic prowess with the cap and how these things work, you know, you have pointed out, to me at least, about Darnay Holmes' cap number and how that could come into play. I don't deny that that could be a factor. The question becomes, is there somebody else who is going to step up amongst the various corners that they have who will make Darnay Holmes expendable because of his cap number. I don't know if that's the case right now. I I go into the training camp session saying Darnay Holmes is their most accomplished slot corner. The guy who has all some inconsistencies, he has right now the most successful resume at the NFL level playing the position. So until somebody can prove to me, and they're going to have a training camp and a preseason to do it, can prove that, you know, they can be at least almost as good as him. I'm very leery 
about going that economic route and saying they might have a business reason to part ways with Holmes. So that's a very interesting dynamic that's going to come into play here probably somehow, some way. I think that Aaron Robinson is a boundary corner. I think that when they played him a couple of years ago out of the slot, it was out of necessity. And, and he did not fare well there. He, again, is one of those guys who has the length and has the physicality to play outside, but the two-way goes out of the slot does not suit him well. He doesn't quite have the quicks necessarily to handle that spot. He is easily, to me, a boundary corner. I was very high on him last year, and then he got hurt. I wouldn't be shocked if Adoree Jackson, who has this void year next year, you know, there's a chance that he's not around. If Aaron Robinson and and Tay Banks are the Giants' starting boundary corners in 2024, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's not talk about 24 quite yet. But but that's why, to me, I don't think of Aaron Robinson in the slot conversation. Now, Bobby McCain does have some experience playing that spot for Washington. He's a safety by trade, but has done some slot work. He's also a guy you're going to have to think about. Um, Look at what Nick McLeod did during the media sessions in the spring. They, They converted him into a safety, but there were times where he also played down in the slot on some of those snaps. Your question was very astute when you asked about the committee approach. You see, one of the things that I'm seeing, Patty, is that the Giants are kind of reversing their field a little bit. They're looking at their offense and they're saying, we've got a variety of wide receivers who can play all three of the wide receiver spots. You can have the X, the Y, and the Z flip-flop on any given play, which means you can have a big slot. The slot in today's NFL, they're getting away from the traditional. You know, used to be a slot guy had to be 5'9", 5'10", 5'11". Twitchy. But what we're seeing now is that teams are using a big slot, which could be a tight end at 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", or it could be a receiver who's 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", and they're not afraid to do that. We're seeing that more and more in the NFL, which now means if you think you've got one slot guy, well, you're making a mistake because what happens if that slot guy now has to cover a six foot four tight end? He's got a problem. So what I'm thinking of is what you may have, and your question leads into this. You may not have a standard boundary, boundary, and slot guy. You may have matching up traveling corners at all three spots who might travel with the matchup that they're playing on any specific week. It's a very interesting dynamic, and that fits right into Wink Martindale's kaleidoscope defense. The positionless defense. And speaking of the defense, who's lining up at safety next to Xavier McKinney? And will they maybe favor, you know, I, I know last year they, they put more emphasis on the safety position because the linebacker spot was kind of, you know, shaky, if you will. Will we see, do you think, you know, in addition to whoever's going to start alongside of McKinney, and maybe they do go with a committee, I don't know. But will we see more 
are the same as we did last year or now that they've, you know, added to the linebacker core, will they rely more on the linebackers? Yeah, I think Okereke obviously is a three-down backer who has coverage skills, blitz skills, uh, plays great in space, and obviously uh, with his tackling numbers the last couple of years with the Colts, he gets involved in, in the play. He's around the ball a lot. So, yeah, I think the safeties will be able to cheat a little bit more against the pass because they know Okereke can do an awful lot in the front seven. But but who's the other safety next to McKinney? That's a great question, Patty. Is it going to be McCain? Is it going to be McLeod? Is it Belton? Is it Pinnock? I mean, you know, and I'm just talking there about guys who have at least taken snaps in the league. Don't forget, you know, they, they also took the um, the safety Owens in the draft, who they, they think very highly of, believe it or not, even though he was a third-day pick. They're really excited about him. So. Uh, yeah, there's going to be battles here. This is why I tell people it's the best 90-man roster the Giants have had since their last Super Bowl. This is going to be a real nasty cut to 53, Patty. Oh, it's going to be fun to watch, that's for sure. Because you've got a lot of, not just for starting jobs, but for depth jobs. And, you know, whereas in the past, guys would get cut from the Giants and very few would get picked up around the league. Now, potentially... Joe Shane has options to where, okay, we can't keep all these receivers. So maybe we look to trade one to a team that needs a receiver and we get some future draft picks, especially since the Giants don't have any comp picks projected for next year. And we know how Joe Shane likes to have those draft chips, if you will, to trade up and trade down. I concur. It would not surprise me if they wind up grabbing a, a conditional seventh rounder or two with some of their guys who they are going to really hate to let go. I think it's, it's important to, to look at, and I did this exercise two weeks ago. I went over uh, the list of every Giants player who was released from the team during the first year of Joe Shane's administration. And I looked at that list and I said to myself, what I want to have any of these guys back now over the 90-man roster that they currently have? Patty, I don't think it would surprise you uh, if I told you there were hardly any names on that list at all that I regret being gone or that I wanted to see back in camp today. Because, you know, he he had such limited resources and it was just, let's get what we need to survive. But, you know, this time... Like I said at the top of the program, better salary cap situation. Still not ideal. They're still cleaning it up, but a lot better than it was last year. More draft picks, a better understanding of what the coaches want, a better understanding of what they had. So just such a huge, huge different for, difference for this Giants team going into year two. Paul, for the final question, and this, you know, you're probably going to tell me that this is a question best asked of, of the coaches themselves, but it's a fun question, so hopefully you'll you'll indulge me here. We saw Brian Dable year one uh, as a head coach. You know, Wink Martindale, he's been a coach for the longest time. Mike Kafka, first year as an offensive coordinator. Those three men, and, and no disrespect to T-Mac, who I know I'm leaving out, but T-Mac has been doing this for a long time. But where can Dable, Kafka, and Wink 
grow, do you think, in year two of the of working together uh, on this Giants team? Well, I think that the easy answer is the answer that I'll give you. And that is, they're not a secret anymore. People now have a year of tape to know what Dable and Kafka and, of course, Wink with these players, although they, they've known a lot about Wink over his years in Baltimore and he hasn't changed much. Mm-hmm. But they now know what this staff wants to do with, with the core of giant starters. There's no longer any secrets. There's no longer trying to learn on the fly in the middle of October, in the middle of November. What have the giants done? How many different chapters in the playbook have they still kept in their back pocket as you go into December? No, that's, that's really not the case anymore. So teams will have a much better feel. You said that these coaches and the GM has a better feel for the roster and that, you know, they've improved the roster and the players had a better feel for the system. Well, so do all the opponents. They've got a better feel for what this Giants team is about too. So what's the challenge? What's the biggest change we're going to see from this coaching staff? How do they adjust and counteract now that the rest of the league has had a chance to chew on what these New York Giants are all about. Because if you just stay the same and don't do anything differently, you wind up running into trouble. So every time that the opponent this year does something that they think is going to work against these Giants in year two, these Giants need to counterpunch. They need to show that they've got something else up their sleeve that will surprise those opponents, much like the Giants surprised people all the way to a playoff spot and nine wins in Shane and Dable's first season. I'll tell you something, Patty, and I mean this wholeheartedly. When you look at the National Football League and we talk about it's great to have consistency in a coaching staff, we all say that that's a positive, that that's a good thing. Well, it is, as long as that coaching staff can continue to make adjustments and counterpunch. If you've got the same coaching staff that just does the same thing all the time and doesn't make the counterpunches and the adjustments, well, it's it's not too long before they're out as a coaching staff because you mm. cannot stay stagnant. Very true. Very true. It's all about growth. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, um, that's a, I've always believed that, you know, when you get a new coaching staff in, that's why they're usually able to catch the rest of the league by surprise, because there's really not a whole lot of intel, especially when you have a, a blended coaching staff, not, you know, all guys from say one tree, like you pointed out earlier. Yeah, Patty, I think going back to that earlier comment in the program about how this coaching staff has checks and balances. This is where the adjustment phase really comes into play because they're not all sitting there thinking about the same thing all the time. You have guys who came from different backgrounds and willing to raise their hand and say, hey, you know what? We don't have to use the same saltine cracker in the soup this week. We, we, got, a, we, got, we got a little bit of a different thing going on. Why don't we try this? Or could we possibly bounce this off of? Or, hey, Daves, 
Didn't we do a lot of that last year? I got a twist that I was working on. What do you think? That's where this comes into play. I love it. You're always thinking about food. You always work food into your analogies. Every it's the Italian in you, right? Show, there's at least one mention of food. <laughs> it's got to be the Italian in you, right? So, That's it. Well, Paul, listen, I know you could talk about the Giants for another 10 hours. I know you. If you could, you would do this 24 hours without a break. Um, this has been great. So much knowledge dropped. I am so glad you were able to find time to come on the podcast with me. I appreciate it. So thank you so much. I hope you have a great rest of the summer. It'll go by fast. I promise you. It'll go by fast. I know you're bouncing off the walls. You too, Patty. Thank, thank you so much for the conversation. I just wish we had another five weeks to talk. <laughs> well, it, it'll it it'll go by fast. Trust me. All right, Giant fans. That is going to do it for us here on today's Locked On Giants podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to tune in. We have more interviews, more guests coming on the program. Coach Gene Clemens, former NFL executive Jeff Diamond's going to be with me. ESPN's Mina Kimes is going to be with me. And I'm hoping to get somebody from NFL Network to come on the show. We're working on that as well. So I hope you will tune in. For Paul Dottino, I'm Patricia Trainer. Thank you again, Giant fans. We will see you tomorrow. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.